0: The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello, I'm Josh Levine, Slate's national editor, the author of The Queen and the Parent of Zero Children. This is Slate's sports podcast, Hang Up and Listen, for the week of September 30th, 2019. On this week's show, we're going to answer your questions about kids and sports. Kids sports, sports kids, not Sports Illustrated for Kids or Jason Kidd. For the Australian sporting goods retailer, Jim Kid Sports. Anyway, kids sports, you had thoughts, we have thoughts, we'll share our thoughts with you shortly. Joining me in Slates Washington DC studio is Stefan Fatsis, author of the books Word Freak and a few seconds of panic, a father of daughter, singular, and a girls soccer coach of some renown in the DC metro area. Hello, Stefan. And commissioner. Commissioner oh, wow. of the girls' high school division, my fifth That's year. That's big. That's big. I'm veteran Commissioner. I yeah. renewed my contract. Do you think of yourself as like more of a Goodell or a Tagliabue or a Roselle? Oh, come on. No, no, no. I'm a humane commissioner. <laughs> You're an Adam Silver type? I'm an Adam Silver type, yes. Yeah, I'm not sure I believe that. But I'll take your word for I it. I did have to Maybe. discipline someone once. <laughs> Kick the coach out of the league. Wow. That was ugly. We'll get to that. Or not. Uh, we'll see. With us from our New York studio is Allison Benedict. Allison is Slate's executive editor one of the founding hosts of Slate's parenting podcast, Mom and Dad are Fighting, the mother of three sons, and a legend in the cutthroat world of New Jersey Youth Flag Football Administration. Hello, Allison.
1: Hello. I'm very happy to be here. What's your title? I have no title. Josh asked me that earlier today. I'm just a member of the organizing committee. Wow. I'm not the commissioner. (laughs) An
0: MOC. Member, organizing committee. I send the emails. What more important task can a parent have? (laughs)
3: No purchase necessary.
2: were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
0: So we got a lot of questions here. We will dive right in with one from Joanne Buckley Collins, who asks, at what age should a kid with no natural ability give up sports? She mentions her 12-year-old has been playing soccer and baseball since age six, and he is bad too terrible at both, knows this. He jokes that he always gets the most improved player award at the end of the season because he sets the bar so low at the beginning. And she's wondering if now is the time to cut bait on this whole sports thing for a kid.
1: So I don't really think you have to decide this, Joanne, because the leagues decide for you. If they're tryout leagues and he gets in on the B or C team, then that's where he belongs. And you don't need to worry about him bringing anyone down because if they were better, they'd be on the
3: A team. And the flip side of that is if they're not tryout leagues, then keep playing as long as he's happy and he likes going out there and he likes being with his friends on the soccer field or the baseball field. The results don't matter, especially, again, if it's not like some travel league, which doesn't sound like he's playing. So play as long as you want to play. You're building skills for life. Like he should want to keep being an athlete so that he can play IM sports in college or go play, you know, kickball when he's an adult.
0: I think it's actually a little bit more complicated than you guys are allowing for, perhaps because I omitted a key sentence from the question, which is, she says, he's getting to the age where his more talented peers are frustrated with him as a teammate and generally avoid giving him the ball. So it's not just like, my dude is having a fun time with his friends. His friends are, it seems like it's kind of a fraught situation where, you know, we've, I I think, been on teams where... There is a player or players, and sometimes we are that player, that can't keep up, that isn't as good, and that can be awkward and uncomfortable, especially if you're a 12-year-old.
1: I guess that's true. I It depends how intense it is. If it's not a fun social situation for him, then certainly he should not do it. I think in the question, it seems like he enjoys doing it, and she's wondering if she should put a stop to it. If he's enjoying it... Again, if the players are a little frustrated with him or not passing to him, well, then he's not getting the ball as much, and that's just how it goes. And they're not, you know, they're they're not on the team with the best players. And that's also just how it goes
0: right. I, I think the operative thing there is that she should not be governed by the discomfort of other players. If her yes. son is happy and comfortable, then that should be the only thing that matters
3: and it's ok in rec sports like the ones that Joanne's son likely is playing for there to be players who aren't as good as the best players on the field. That's the nature of recreational I mean, there are always are, sports. right? <laughs> always are. That's the whole point of recreational sports. And that is the point of, yeah, he may not see the ball at a crucial moment in the game, but that's okay. And the coach may not want to play him at shortstop in an important game. He's probably not playing shortstop at all. Um, but that is part of the nature of the deal here. The deal is that everyone gets to play That's kind of cool. If it becomes frustrating for him, if he's becoming the target of, you know, abuse from friends or teammates or opponents, well, that's where the coach needs to step in and make sure that shit doesn't happen. So it really is, if your kid is happy and enjoying it, even if it's just to show up and run around for an hour and not contribute mightily to the success of the Cougars in their, you know, U-12 soccer game— that's fine. Everyone forgets about the damn score anyway. As long as he actually has real friends on the team and in the league, he's probably doing better psychologically than parents and coaches might allow.
1: And it does seem to encourage, like, a healthy relationship to sports because you can be an adult with no natural ability playing sports, you know, and you're whatever. Like, it just – it's it seems – it's, it's possible to play sports without, with
3: no natural ability. And Joanne asks, like, what happens when he gets older? Like, once he gets to high school. Once he gets to high school,
0: if you're still playing rec sports, nobody gives a shit. Yeah. All right, Allison, what's our next question?
1: This question comes from Chase Gibson. Chase asks, when is the right age to allow your jackass son to experiment with talking trash on the court? It's got to start sometime, right? And I want him to be good at it when the time is right.
0: My thought here, Allison, was that aren't kids getting this training by playing Fortnite?
1: You're asking a mom of a former Fortnite player who doesn't know the
0: answer to this. There's trash talking in Fortnite? Aren't kids on headsets just like yakking oh, at each other? Oh,
1: we didn't let him do that.
0: <laughs> You're not preparing your, <laughs> your child for the important social skill of uh, on-court trash talking and being able to, to take that to meat space. I think seriously, kids... Are, this is something that happens organically, whether you want it to or not. Um, Stefan, I don't know if you've encountered it in coaching your girls or if it's something that you have to police or encourage uh, in uh, d- depending on your mood.
3: Um, you don't see it very much in recreational girls' soccer, um, but there have been very instances. Very gender essentialist of you. Well, that's what I coach. Um, but there have, been, there have been games where players on another team have said we had a team, we were playing a, an all-Latina team, and they were saying things that our players took offense to. They were saying them in Spanish, so they didn't think that our girls understood, but they did. Um <laughs> And I think, you know, the organic part is exactly right. When is it okay? Probably in high school when kids are more aware of who they are and are not going to be quite as sensitive to a barb. Um, but referees and coaches should be policing this anyway. They shouldn't be trash talking. Yeah, I was going to say, kids. your kid is
1: going to get thrown out of a game if he really trash talks. I feel like the question is a little bit like the same one of swearing, which is like, eh, it's fine to let your kids swear, but they should know when is the appropriate place to do it? Like, trash talk when you're, like, playing, you know, board games and when you're playing basketball in the park. But when you're actually playing in, like, a real game with refs, you probably don't want to.
0: Yeah, he's not suggesting that this is something that needs to be done or should be done in official games with refs. He's asking about it in a more global sense. And I think, actually, if you have really good friendships, I mean, this can be a way to put your friendship to the test. But talking trash is totally appropriate when you're playing basketball or whatever with good friends first. Like I would try it out there yeah, rather than like taking it to the park with strangers where it can get out of hand quickly. Right. But just like say really kind of cruel and mean things to the people you mm-hmm. love the most and then <laughs> let it grow and flourish from there.
3: And, and the good news is that there are so many resources now to hone your <laughs> trash-talking skills, to learn from the pros, you might say. Go online, look at some good clips – I'm sure there are websites dedicated to trash talking. You really want to educate yourself before you jump in the deep end of this pool.
0: And I do really feel like with video games like Chase, you probably don't know what your kid is saying into the headset. Or maybe you're like Allison and you're banning that. Maybe when they're at a friend's house, Allison, they are talking trash on the headset though.
1: Maybe it just seems low on the like parenting priority list. Like let your kids do it fine, but don't like don't get involved. Then it's not cool.
3: All right. Mike Johnson writes, to what extent are certain club sports a bastion of privilege? We saw how some sports are a direct pipeline to elite universities in the recent scandal, the admission scandal in colleges, but no discussion of the fact that kids in some communities don't have the opportunity to play lacrosse or join a rowing team. I mean, meritocracy is the central issue in the youth sports industrial complex today. Who can afford to play some of these sports that are, as Mike points out, pipelines to to smaller colleges typically or bigger colleges because these are privileged kids' sports, but at the same time, who has the ability to play travel sports, to spend two or three thousand dollars a season to enroll your kid on some team, um, and to even know if there are resources in your community for economically disadvantaged families to take advantage of scholarships or other opportunities to play in these leagues? Um, they're totally a bastion of privilege. By definition, club sports are a bastion of privilege. I don't know whether Mike is talking about whether you can afford to play club soccer or whether your kid should play squash, but both have entrenched meritocratic issues. Are there some
1: sports that avoid this problem?
0: Oh, that's a tough question. I think it depends on how elite you are. Like if you're a super elite basketball player and you're like on the AAU circuit, I think it's just you get recruited based on Talent and the teams are supported by shoe companies, and you don't your parents aren't paying like three thousand dollars a month to have you out you know playing tournaments in Vegas or or wherever, but I think the there are two separate issues here, Stefan, as you mentioned there are the sports that serve as pipelines to college scholarships um and those pipelines are restricted to people who are able to afford to get into them in the first place, whether it's something like sailing or um Sailing. <laughs> I'm just going to mention sailing over and over again <laughs> as my example. But then it really just, despite the fact that this is how it operates and has operated for a long time, it just seems like there has to be a better way to do soccer in the US. And there's just no reason. It's unfair. And it feels like it would be better for talent development. It would be better for equality for the pay-to-play system to be gone. So I think maybe that's where we should focus our energies rather than on like the elite country club sports that it just, I, I don't know what you can do about that.
3: Derek Thompson did a real good piece for the Atlantic last year, and we had him on this very podcast to talk about this, that the bigger story in youth sports in America is the development of this two-track system that you look at the overall participation numbers, some some for high school were just released a couple of weeks ago, and it looks like sports are declining, but the reality is sports are declining mostly, participation is declining mostly among families that can't afford it. So there is an income disparity here. So everything, as I mentioned earlier, sort of looks like it's a bastion of privilege. Rich kids get to play more, poorer kids are playing
0: less. Yeah, this strikes me as more of an America problem than a sports problem. It's an inequality problem. All right, next question. This is from Joe Vargo. He says, we have to balance kids playing a sport versus family leisure time. What is the better choice? Allison, what are your thoughts on that?
1: So we got a whole bunch of questions about this. Leisure time versus sports, or like how to deal with travel sports and wanting your own time on the weekend. And I hear parents talk about this all the time. Uh, I don't want to give up my weekends. I just feel like I mean, maybe these parents have chiller kids than I do, but having sports to organize our weekends around is generally like a very positive thing. Soccer and flag football commitments, it keeps us busy. We're like out in the world socializing with our neighbors, feeling part of something. I mean, I don't I think hockey. you have to wake up at like four a m if your kid plays hockey, and that seems nuts. But if I'm pretty pro travel sports being, part of my leisure time, as long as it doesn't require me to wake up that early.
0: What do you mean by travel sports? Like how much are you traveling on your weekends?
1: Well, right. It's like an hour at most. So some people are doing much more than that.
0: It's not like you're taking a three and a half hour trip where the only thing you're doing is driving there, sitting around with people you don't know, and then driving back and then going to sleep.
1: (laughs) No, but are you ever doing it with people you don't know? You become part of this thing,
3: right? Well, I think that that some families do. There was a cover story in Time Magazine by Sean Gregory, I think last year or the year before, that dove into this. And there are families that do literally drive three and a half hours so their kids can practice. Um, these are not kids from their community. Um, th- th- you know, th- This is so that they can get a perceived advantage playing. But I don't think that's what... Joe is talking about with his question. I think that it's really the the idea of does this constitute leisure time or should it? And I do think it takes a sort of reframing of the way parents think. And I think that's what you're driving at, Alison. It's like, look, if your kids are going to be super active in sports, whether it's rec or travel or whatever, you're going to be spending a bunch of time on sidelines and in cars because you want to be with your children. You can obviously just drop them off and leave and go do something else. But I think it It requires adults sort of reframing how they view this activity. This is your leisure time. It's not a chore anymore. This is what you're doing for your kids.
1: And I would just say, like, you might enjoy it. I think a lot of people who talk about, like, you know, not wanting to have their whole weekend taken up with this haven't done it. And if you try it and you hate the other parents and you don't get a kick out of seeing your kid on the field, then fine. It's not for your family. But um, I don't know. It's not. It's not oppressive in the way. I don't find it as, as oppressive as some people claim it to be.
0: Were you worried about it before it became your life?
1: Um. No. Not, not in your. Really. T- not
0: in your top ten list of worries about <laughs> no. your children.
1: I mean, honestly, I'd rather be doing that than like all stuck at home with the kids, like asking for screen time and bored.
0: Fair point. I mean, I suppose
1: there's a third option to like go do <laughs> things, like go to a museum. But
0: yeah, that's, that's not going yeah, so to work. They're going to be
1: whining. <laughs>
0: So I think ideally for somebody like Joe, where he's saying balancing kids playing a sport versus family leisure time, you want to set things up so that becomes a false choice, so that playing a sport is family leisure time. Um, And if you don't find a setup like that, then, um, you know, choose the leisure time. Or if you don't enjoy it, choose the leisure time. I think the lesson uh, that I've heard um as somebody who doesn't have kids is that you're not supposed to tell parents that anything that they do is bad so here's the point where i say whatever you choose to do is the right decision for your family right
3: and and if that (laughs) means dropping your kid off and not watching them play that's okay too i didn't my parents never watched me play a sport when i was screwed up you are and i'm all fucked up it's true
0: Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, the next question we got was from Allison Benedict on Twitter. Allison, do you want to read Allison's question?
1: My question is Am I a bad parent for watching NFL games with my kids and encouraging their love of football? So we have a no screens during the week situation rule in our house, but we, we, um, Suspend that rule for Monday night football, for Thursday (laughs) night football. And
0: also, we watch football on
1: Sundays. So, you're not just
0: letting them watch NFL games on Saturdays. You're only the only thing they watch watch football. Yes.
1: Uh, And in addition, I let my son not only let my son, but encourage my son to play flag football, which he really loves. And I know that's leading towards some later conversation about. Real football. Gateway uh, Gateway
0: sport. Gateway drug.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So your thoughts, gentlemen.
0: Stefan is pointing to me because this is a hard question and he doesn't want to have to That's answer true. it first. I
3: just want to respond. Yeah, that is true. I take that
0: back. <laughs> it is true. <laughs> so I grew up watching football with my uh, family and it was a really, really, really big part of growing up, watching games on TV, going to games and... I would not look back and wish that that did not happen just because it's so fundamental to my existence that it's hard to imagine another way. And yet I do feel like football is a super screwed up sport and institution. But the question is, can you raise your children to understand what's bad about football while also... Appreciating what's good about it, or is it so fundamentally unethical that it's hypocritical to to make that argument? I think it's I think you can do it, but I also realize that I'm kind of anchored and biased towards watching football and rationalizing it myself. And if I start it all over again, um it's just really impossible to say, what I would choose or what I would do, Stefan.
3: I agree. I also think that, sort of, to follow up on your, the latter half of your point, because I won't dispute that, look, watching football is fun. It was a fundamental part of my childhood. I'm um, not with my family so much, but with my brother and with friends. You um,
0: still watch and enjoy it? I, I still watch. Nobody's forcing you to watch. If I know. you didn't want to watch, you <laughs> wouldn't have to.
3: Well, I've got a fantasy team and, you know. Okay. Um, <laughs> but I, 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 th- I think that the, the difference between our, in our childhoods, Josh, is that I grew up watching it in the 70s and 80s. You grew up watching it in the 80s and 90s. We did not know as much. There was no ethical, moral dilemma. For, but you know now, and you're still watching. Well, I don't watch it the way I watched <laughs> it then, obviously. I mean, I watch it Come now. Come on, man. I'm not pumping my fist <laughs> and, like, jumping up and down. And I don't have football cards well, splayed before me i would while argue watching that the game. You're,
0: I would argue that you're watching it is less defensible then because sure. you are like claiming to be this like intellectual who's only watching. I think
3: it's possible though. I mean, look, the Nate Jackson argument. I can't argument, control
0: my passion.
3: The you Nate Jackson yours. argument here is that. Played by adults, football is balletic, and it requires tremendous athletic ability, and it can be really beautiful to watch. It can also be the most horrifically violent and degrading thing you will see on television. Um, Someone's going to get killed. I mean, two high school kids did die in the last few weeks, Um, and there are airlifts and ambulance rides and fatalities and near fatalities in the sport every fucking year. So I wouldn't let my kid play it. I mean, flag football, you can say it's a gateway sport, but you have the ability, Allison, to say right now to your 10-year-old, you can play flag flag football as long as you want, but you're absolutely not going to play tackle football under any circumstances. That is within your ability. And it's also within your ability to say, look, what we're watching is horrible, and I want you to be aware that what football can do to these people is really bad. And this is an ethical dilemma that we face as a society.
1: Yeah, I mean, we talk about CT and I recently actually printed out a piece uh, from Deadspin called My Husband is Dying Every Day, which is by Deborah Fellows about her husband, Ron Fellows, a former NFL player who's dealing with um, cognitive issues from from playing football. Uh, we also talked to him about, you know, Antonio Brown and the various uh, players who have been uh, accused of sexual abuse. And, um, you know, we we definitely are Clear on the downsides in general, but I feel like we're giving him mixed messages because we're also extremely proud of how good he is, honestly. A flag, it gives it, it makes me really proud. I am not an athletic person. My there's husband, there's nothing wasn't.
0: wrong with playing flag football, obviously. I
1: know, but I feel like we're encouraging him to care about this sport.
0: Well, a couple things I think he's of the age where flag football is proliferating, it's getting more popular, and so that there could be a pathway him to continue to play it. And as far as mixed messages go, you know, giving somebody mixed messages is just telling them how it works to be a human being. Like, if he listens to music, there's going to be an occasion to talk to him about R. Kelly. Uh, if he lives in the United States, there's going to be an <laughs> occasion to talk to him about the difference between respecting the office of the presidency. Now, um, but... I think there is a community aspect growing up, not just growing up in Louisiana, um, to football and that I think you can certainly go move through the world and go through life without watching football and be totally fine. But there is joy to be had in following the game. Um, And I think... You know, in pro football especially, we're at a stage where there is more kind of informed consent here that as opposed to the previous era, like the Ron Fellows era, that the players are aware of what the risks are. And so that can be a thing that you can talk about as well. Like I, I would—
1: Yeah, the Andrew Luck thing was actually really interesting, yeah, good conversation. I
0: would not say that like as of this moment right now— that the NFL is immoral or it's unethical to watch the NFL. There are certainly ethical and moral issues with it, but I would just not say full stop that it's unethical and immoral.
3: But don't ever, ever, ever tell him that football is getting safer as a justification for watching the
0: game.
2: Okay, I won't.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Don't do that.
2: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance.
0: I wanted to let you know, before we move along, that in our bonus segment for Slate Plus members, we will be answering more of your questions about kids and sports. Among those questions, a lot of you guys asked about specialization. When is it right to do it? When is it wrong to do it? We will pronounce. If you want to hear that you're not a Slate Plus member, sign up for Slate Plus for just $35 for the first year. You can do that at slate.com slash plus.
3: Our next question is from Logan Ritchie. What can parents say to coaches who are too passionate about the game and therefore the team's performance? That passion can translate to yelling at eight to nine-year-olds, working kids too hard at practice, and valuing a W over effort. Here's what you can say. This is a question
0: that came up a bunch As well. A lot of people are asking about
3: this. And it's a great question. And the answer is don't let asshole coaches dictate what happens to your child. Um, Be an active consumer here. Valuing the W, just the last part, is like a uniquely American thing. You know, most um, like soccer in Europe, even at the highest, elitist academies, you know, they barely play games. They're much more focused on developing talent. Um, And And we've turned it into like keeping standings for seven-year-old baseball, which is crazy. Um, What tends to happen is that we allow coaches, volunteer coaches, paid coaches to make seven-year-old baseball about their own self-esteem. And if a coach is acting in a way that you don't feel is right, doesn't jibe with your values – You got to do something about it. Confrontation is hard. I have found as a coach and a commissioner, Allison, and you can weigh in on this, that people get very defensive very quickly. Don't confront coaches at practice or right after a game. Don't confront an opposition, an opponent's coach after a game. Conversations like these need to be had in a private setting. You should take the pulse of other parents to see if they're in agreement with you. And if you decide that you're witnessing something that's morally wrong, that doesn't you know doesn't align with your values take it to the league take it to your club um and if you think it's a lost cause get your kid out of there and find a team with the culture and values that you endorse
1: so i was kind of i'm 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 interested in your answer because my actual instinct was don't go to the coach directly
3: at all if it's a situation with an abusive coach go to the
1: commissioner well, i think like it's, not- it's the level of abuse
3: right i mean if it's a, if it's a coach that just sort of talks too much too many instructions or is too loud, maybe you can. But yeah, if it seems like it's more serious than that, continue.
1: But I was also going to say, and here comes a potentially unpopular opinion, like check yourself a little bit, because I do think that I have seen in my short time in youth sports that Parents like a coach who, you know, uh, gives attention to each, you know, to their child and sees his, his or her special ability and helps him or her bloom. And it's I think it's fine to have a tough coach and to like not like the coach is just like you're just another kid. And I actually think it's fine to care about wins. Womp
3: <laughs> I don't. Just, I, don't I, I have no problem caring about wins. I mean, look, I as a rec coach, I'm standing on the sidelines or used to be. I mean, at this point, like twelfth grade, like nobody cares. Um, as I said before, but yeah, you want to win and you want to encourage children to understand that winning is good. Like you should be trying to work as hard as you can in order to win. It really is the method that a coach. Um, in parts. And yeah, you're right, And There are parents who think that, you know, tough love is the way to go and it's okay to yell at children. I don't think it's okay to yell at children under any circumstance. I mean, I, I don't think that
0: like you achieve the, the, but what the if fundamental they're being, goals. But what if they're being because, annoying?
1: <laughs> well it depends on the yelling too. There's like let's get out there and whatever, and then there's like you you know, you fucked up. I don't right. think that's okay. I think it's okay to be passionate. Yeah,
0: I mean, valuing winning is like kind of banal. I think the question, sure. the question is more, how do you respond to losing? And I think there's a wider variation there. You could have a coach that's like, you know, to eight, nine-year-olds, like, this isn't acceptable. Like, we need to fix this and try harder. Like, we're not, you know, we're not losers. Or you could have somebody that's like, that's okay. Everybody played their best and... Um, you know, it's the most important thing is that we had fun out there and that it was a great effort. And what you're, are you saying, Alison, that the first one is okay, as long as you're not like calling the kids losers, but you're, but you're like setting a standard that like, we're not happy with losing and we like need to play better and harder.
1: I think I am okay with that. Yeah.
0: Stefan with a, yeah, like you did your best. Yeah. Are you OK with <laughs> – Stefan? are you OK with a coach being like, we lost because we didn't play well enough and you guys need to play better and do better and play harder to like an eight-year-old?
3: Yeah, I don't think an eight-year-old ever needs to play harder or can process what it means to play <laughs> harder necessarily um, or to, you know, to, to, to perform the physical acts required <laughs> to win. They're eight. They're still not in control of their bodies. And a lot of parents don't understand that.
0: That, like, there is no. Allison, do you understand that? Like,
3: I mean, one of
1: my sons is very into sports, and the other one is like flossing in the outfield the whole time and doing like amazing dances. Look, but I'm fine with the coach saying to him, like. Is very important, Allison. <laughs> oh, no, flossing the dance. Flossing the dance. You and know you're fine dance, with the coach the saying to
0: him, don't do that? I knew. Yes.
1: Yeah. Cut it out. Stop flossing. Pay attention. Right. Wait, but this I feel like this goes directly into our next question.
0: Which is from Micah orlis, are we coddling our kids if we don't keep score? At what age should we start keeping score in kids' sports? You mentioned that in response to an earlier question, right, Stephen?
3: I did, and, and, and I think this was a, a subject of one of the posts last year when Slate did uh, that, that short series about, uh, about kids' youth sports. Um, look, kids aren't idiots, They keep score. It's fine to keep score. Keep score. It's great. I agree. Don't keep keep standings. They want to keep score. They know exactly what the score is. They come off the field and ask you what the score is if they don't remember what the score is. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they are devastated if they lose or they are ebullient if they win. The score tends to be forgotten very, very quickly.
0: Does your kid ever say, I am ebullient?
3: Yes. When she was seven. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> That's why she's a great Scrabble player. No doubt, no doubt. Um, I was definitely the kid when I was playing ping pong. Uh, when we weren't we weren't keeping score. Did you
3: just tackle <laughs> at Josh saying when I was playing ping when, pong. Sorry.
0: When uh, I was playing ping pong, quote for fun, you New know, York was like, "Is the score?" W-? And I was like immediately like five two. Yeah. <laughs> I was yeah. not keeping up.
1: What's uh, the point of playing? <laughs>
0: Uh, I think we I think we solved this one. Um, should we? Bring but, but but wait.
3: But like, coaches should not be emphasizing score either.
0: Well, you're opposed to scores being reported in the newspaper.
3: I, I did an afterball about that. Yeah, you did. It's
0: quite amusing. Don't wait. kids like don't kids like to see their uh, annals and exploits reported in the local press there? at
3: age seven? No, they really don't. I didn't know that happened. Although there are no local well, papers anymore, well, my afterball was about <laughs> local papers from the nineteen yeah, <laughs> like nineteen eighty, I think was the year. So, um, but there are places in the world that don't keep score at all. I mean, I think we'll get to this in a later question. But in Norway, clubs with athletes below the age of thirteen are forbidden from publishing game scores and can be expelled from the Norwegian Confederation of the sp- of Sports
0: if they do so. Ooh. Big, big threat. I know. Uh, Allison, do you want to ask the next one?
1: Yeah. This is from Heather Sebian Miller. I hope I pronounced your name correctly. Uh, My hockey-loving nine-year-old daughter dreams of playing in the N- NHL. How long do I let her believe in that dream? I think you do that thing where you let her know it's, like, a real long shot. You can use stats, uh, but also that it's possible. Stats That's it. like, zero
3: <laughs> out zero. of
0: everyone ever.
1: <laughs> no, but, like, here are the, ima- here are the number Wait, of players that may- <laughs> What?
3: There was Menel Men- Realm, the woman that played goalie in an exhibition game in the NHL. There you go. Oh. So, but yeah,
1: I think you basically tell tell your kids the truth, but frame it around the possibility.
0: Yeah, and this was a comment on the Slate Parenting Facebook page. And uh, Heather got a response from Elizabeth Reiner Frank, who said um, that there are five professional women's hockey teams in the in WHL, So you could direct your daughter to, you know, the— existence of professional women's hockey, of Olympic hockey, um, and Heather seemed happy with that answer. But there are also girls who say, I want to be a professional baseball player. I want to be a professional football player. And so what do you say in that case, Stefan?
3: I say, she's nine. Puberty (laughs) will sort this out for her. (laughs) I I mean, and then it will. Like, I mean, this is like, again, this is a maturity issue. When you're nine, you think, I want to be shortstop for the Yankees, which is what I wanted to be. Um, and then you realize when you're 13 that that is not possible. But what is possible is that I can continue to play hockey for my high school team. I can continue to play hockey in college. I can continue to play hockey if I'm good enough for the U.S. Olympic team or for some professional league. And we need to have more opportunities for women to play sports at a higher level. And that's what I'm going to support throughout my life.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think what this is pointing out is that there's not a lot of visibility for women hockey players outside of the Olympics, even the World Hockey Championships. They they weren't on like I, I don't even know if they were on television or broadcast. Certainly weren't on broadcast television in the U.S. Um, but what is when that when that happened? Um, and the women's professional league. It's in a few cities, again, they don't have a major TV deal. So, I one of bet, the
3: leagues folded. I mean, they've been in turmoil.
0: Yeah, so I bet if Heather's daughter was like, I want to be a soccer player, she would say, I want to be Megan Rapino or I want to be Alex Morgan. So I think that is kind of the bigger issue that's being pointed out here is that what children see in terms of what's on TV and what's you know in, in stadiums is kind of what they aspire to be.
3: Martin Friedrichs had a question about how other countries handle kids' sports. Why are sports so intertwined with school in the U.S., while many other countries have private, not-for-profit clubs that handle sports, often at a fraction of the cost of the U.S.? Well, this is a very fundamental question to how sports developed in the United States, how amateur sports developed, um, as a sort of largely the province of schools and and colleges. Um, But, Today, the bigger question is, Are, are, are these, is our structure preventing some kids from playing, which is something we talked about earlier, and then is it also a hindrance in how we develop elite athletes? We, we have this diffuse structure that leaves the, the development and identification of good youth players to these local clubs that don't get funneled up to a sort of more national entity quickly enough. In the Netherlands, in smaller countries in Europe, particularly in soccer, they identify the best potential players at seven or eight, and they train them aggressively from that age. And we can't do that here, you know. But... I think the the more fundamental question is the way that we allow youth sports to be played more broadly for all kids. Europe has these local clubs, and you pay some nominal fee of eighty or ninety a buck a, bucks a, a year to be part of it. And there's a team handball team, and there's a korfball team, and there's a soccer team, and there's a swimming team, and everybody can participate from little kids all the way up through adults. And the best youth players get funneled up into the more um, professionalized training system. All right, let's do one more. This one comes from Caitlin Yeager McCorkle. This is more of a comedic, low-stakes question, but if you make parent enjoyment or at least what's least painful a priority, what is the best sport to enroll your early elementary age child in? My husband and I have discussed this at length, and we agree that it's soccer. Allison, you have three children under the age of 10. Take it away.
1: I think it's soccer. I think she's right. I mean, baseball is painful, even when it's coach pitch, it's painful and slow. I've always wondered about swimming. Being a swim club parent has always seemed cool to me, and you and kids start that pretty <laughs> young. But I don't know. I don't do know you know any swim is. club
3: parents? I don't. Because what I hear is that you sit around a lot, like oh, really? you, these meets. Like you have to be there at six in the morning, and isn't it also humid? Y- yeah, and humid. your kid
1: is only like doing one or two races, right? And so the right. maybe like so you're out sitting in the stands the for eight hours, literally. Yeah.
0: Like you're sitting in the stands for eight hours but waiting I, I for think your kids. Soccer. To swim. What is the difference between soccer and, like, basketball?
3: Outside versus inside, yeah. Yeah, Outside versus inside, which, depending on, you know, your climate, outside can suck.
0: I guess baseball could arguably be better if your goal is to socialize with other parents because you don't need to be paying attention to the game all the time. Like, you can pay maximal attention to your child's and what they're doing and be able to communicate to your child after the game. <laughs> I saw you do X, Y, and Z, and, and like only be like... paying attention 5% of the time. <laughs> no,
1: that's so true. We like accidentally enrolled in this fall ball league one year that was like <laughs> extremely like just time is a huge time commitment. And I read like a whole, I read a lot of books that year
3: because I just sat there <laughs> and read books. <laughs> so well read. I was going to say it's definitely not baseball, and I have gone to watch friends' kids play Little League. And I love playing Little League. I was never upset that my my mother did not come to watch me play Little League that often. I was going to say, let's look through some other sports. Like, hockey seems, like, very dumb because, like, putting on all that equipment is like getting your kid ready to go on the space shuttle for, like, a seven-year-old. That doesn't seem like a lot of fun for the parent.
0: No. I mean, would lacrosse be in the same category as soccer? They're not that different in sports. Probably.
3: What's, the, what's lacrosse culture, though? If we can get lacrosse to be not such a bro-y suburban sport, yeah, I think then I think we could probably get behind it a little bit more as a as a as a watching sport.
0: Do you guys, having seen kids play a bunch of different sports, feel like soccer is the one that they can play the most competently at a young age? Like, if you had no actual parental interest in a game and you just happened upon it. Which one would you be like? Eh, these, this is like not the worst thing in the world to watch, or are they all just like really bad?
1: <laughs> I mean, maybe baseball. Again, I wouldn't vote baseball because it's so boring. But uh, I think baseball, they like just the the coach just gets closer and closer with the ball pitching until they finally hit it. <laughs> <laughs> I would and then think like, at, like that a ringing I mean, a they can all, they can all run to a base.
3: You want a sport that offers you entertainment as a parent? Right. Soccer does that at age 5 and 6 because it's so bizarre. You know, they're all just running around, they're moving in a pack. In the wrong direction. The wrong direction. I'll never forget one of the kids on my team, I think it was first grade, where the kid started dribbling the wrong way, down like in front of the parents and he shouted, "I can't turn around!" <laughs>
0: Uh, that's a great place to end. Fun show today. And that is our show for today. Our producer is Melissa Kaplan. To listen to past shows and subscribe or just reach out, go to slate.com slash hangup. You can email us at at slate.com If you're still here, guessing you might want even more. Hang up and listen in our bonus segment this week. We're going to answer a couple more of your questions about kids in sports.
1: One thing about that camera feeding column is like that parent obviously thought his daughter had unrecognized talent, right? That somehow it was like the coach wasn't seeing what she was good at and felt extreme frustration about that. And I think that's probably a pretty common feeling. I don't know how parents are supposed to deal with
0: that. To hear that conversation, join Slate Plus. It's just $35 for the first year. You can sign up at slate.com slash hangup plus. Allison Benedict. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. For Allison and for Stefan Fatsas, I'm Josh Levine. Remember Zalmo Beatty, and thanks for listening.
3: Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring.
2: A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh?
3: Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino.